Hi, I'm Tom Luna. I'm a former school board member. I was privileged to serve as senior advisor to U.S. Secretary of Education, Rod Page. I also had the honor of serving for eight years as Idaho State Superintendent of Public Instruction. During that time, I also served as president of the Council of Chief State School Officers. One thing I have learned in all these experiences is that educating children is not rocket science, it's more complicated. On my podcast, Swimming Upstream, we will visit with courageous leaders who challenge the prevailing tide and inspire all of us to swim against the current. Let's jump in. Welcome to another episode of Swimming Upstream. We're uh, recording here at Excel and Ed in Atlanta, and it's the last day of the conference. We've had the opportunity to visit with many state leaders from around the country, and we're excited to have um, here joining us this Friday morning, uh, Kirsten Basler, who is the state superintendent of the great state of North Dakota. And uh, you were on the show last year when we were in Salt Lake City. That's right. It was fun then. Yeah. I'm expecting it'll be fun too. Yeah. Thank you for joining us again. And uh, you've got some exciting things to talk about. And um, uh, let's just jump right in. Let's do it. But thanks for thanks for being on the show. Um, you and I were talking earlier, um, and it's a conversation I don't think we've had with any of our previous guests the last two seasons, and that is the importance of school boards and school board members. You and I we're on school boards, right? And that's, that's, uh, uh, that, so we, we bring that perspective and I think understanding the importance, the important role a school board can play and some of the consequences if they don't, you know, and, and so let's just start by talking about maybe your experience as a school board member and what led you to realizing that the state could do more to help in that area. Thanks, Tom. Um, I really enjoyed being a school board member. I served as a school board member for nine years, uh, served as president of that board for seven of those nine years. And I believe, I often say that I had been an educator before, a building vice principal, I've been a district leader, and there's no job that prepared me more for the state superintendency role than the job of the school board president. It really helped for me as an educator understand the importance of policy and appropriation to driving student outcomes. They are critical to achieving the student outcomes that we all want for our children. And so I brought that experience. Interestingly enough, I was elected as a state superintendent in November of 2012, took office in January of 2013, but my term on the Mandan School Board wasn't over until June. So uh, for six months, I did double duty. And I would, you know, finish my day at the Capitol with the legislature, drive across the river to my hometown, my boys' hometown of Mandan, and sit as a school board member. And so that was pretty exciting and to to have those those two perspectives. But I actually became a school board member a decade earlier than that because I wanted my children's school system, their hometown, to be the best hometown it could ever be. And at that point in time, our school district wasn't doing so well. Uh, We were pretty low achieving. Uh, for uh, that we have class A school districts in the state of North Dakota. Those are our largest school districts. And of the 16 class A school districts, we were uh, at the bottom of that of that list as far as academically for student performance. And I knew that we could do better. I knew that we could do better than that. And when I joined the board, I I learned a lot. I, I, I realized that we had gone to impasse. We are a right-to-work state, and so there's no striking that goes goes on. But when the board and the teachers 
aren't able to agree on a contract, it goes to impasse. And then a, a fact-finding commission comes in. We had gone to impasse for four negotiation cycles in a row with, with two-year contracts. So for almost a decade, our board and our teachers were not coming to an agreement on a contract on the most basic terms of a contract. And so when you go into the bypass, then you a mediator of some comes in, and then you end up with a both sides are bound to that the correct. mediator. Okay, got correct, it. Got correct. It. And so that's not a fun thing for yeah. for a community to go through. Pretty divisive. Right. And so that's for the first time in my life, that's when I came up with the understanding and a phrase that I use when big people fight, little people suffer. Wow. The, the community was was bound up in turmoil, in conflict. They were talking about a, a big people problems, adult issues. And when you get caught up in big people problems and adult issues, it's pretty easy to set aside the reason that we exist. And, and the student outcomes were definitely suffering. And so, you know, we did a lot to recover. We did a lot to build culture. Uh, the time that I left office uh, as a school board member, the um, state assessment, and we're using state assessment scores to, for this measurement. There's lots of ways to measure quality, but we were using state assessment for student outcomes. The important things, the reason that our taxpayers support us is to make sure that their kids can read, write, and yeah. and do math and understand science and and be engaged citizens. We were failing on all those metrics when I took uh, when I first joined the board. At the end of of my term, North uh, Mandan actually was the highest performer wow. on those metrics except for one high school beat us in science, and that high school has a completely different socioeconomic demographic than, than we do. And so we yeah. were pretty proud of that, which affirmed for me that when school boards are focused on student outcomes, it changes the trajectory of a district and it changes the trajectory of our students' outcomes particularly. And so I brought that mindset with me to the Department of Public Instruction served for a couple terms and realized from a state perspective that we were doing all sorts of things to support almost every other member of the team that is education in our local school boards. We create, we, we provide professional development funds and opportunities for our superintendents, our principals, our teachers, yeah. food service providers, yeah. our bus drivers, all of them. But we were doing nothing to support our school boards. And, and I have a good relationship with our school board association, its members. I used to serve on that state board. I used to actually work for the school board association for a short oh six gosh. months. Wow. That was going to be my career. And then I got called to run for office yeah. and, and ran for office, so it changed my life. So I had this good uh, good relationship, and I knew that I wanted to make a difference uh, and help support our school boards. Uh, they matter. They, they are important, and we, uh, as a state agency, we believe in them and always have. So how can we put our money where our mouth is, and how can we walk the talk? And that's when I began exploring what programs were out there, and I... Uh, came across a program that had actually saved um, Kansas City, Missouri School District from being taken over by the Missouri Commissioner of Education. They turned themselves around. Um, the the uh, designer of that was the board president at Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri, and he was asked by our friend and, and fellow commissioner, Mike Morath, in Texas to bring it down to yeah, Texas. And yeah. so he created a state model, a uh, little bit different approach in Texas. They um, they are the, the schools that are about to be taken over and are on their TSI and CSI list um, are required to, to go through this training. I approached it a little differently. 
I customized it to make it North Dakota Be Legendary School Board Training That's what it's and called, Support. Be Legendary. Be Legendary. Like North, yeah, Be Legendary School Board Training Institute and Implementation. We customized it so they use they use different words down there in Texas. Yeah, so we yeah, had to yeah, use, yeah, we had to yeah. make it North Dakota words, and they they approached it differently. And I'm sure Texas theirs is much bigger. Much big. Everything. Everything's bigger <laughs> right, in Texas. Right, right. Exactly. So we worked with some people uh, that AJ Craybell had pointed us in the direction and we created our own manual based on North Dakota's portrait of a graduate. What were the things that we as a state had said we want our students to know and be able to do. We created 12 goals uh, that districts could choose from to embrace and adopt at their local school board level. And at this point in time, it's, it's all voluntary. Uh, over, th over a third of our school boards, we have 168 school districts in the state, over a third of those school boards have, have completed the training with their leadership team, adopted at least three of the goals that are aligned to North Dakota's statewide student outcome goals. And we are firm believers and adopters that student outcomes don't change, will never change until adult behaviors yeah. change. And the school boards have said that behavior changes with us. That's fascinating. And um, like I said, I don't think we've had a conversation about the importance of school board and school board members. Uh, let, let's talk just a little bit more and maybe um, uh, when I was elected to the school board, um, I remember, you know, people say you ought to run for the school board. It's only one night a month and I believed them, right? And uh, um, But if you're going to be a good steward and a good school board member, it's obviously more than one night a month. Uh, but um, uh, but uh, you it's going to take engagement. There's a lot of things to learn. I was a business man. I knew I could read any p and L. I could read any profit and loss statement or um, uh, a balance sheet. Uh, it was not easy to figure out the financial information that's made available for education, right? It's so different. and and so it it takes some it it takes time and effort to to be a good school board member. So talk about your experience and why. It truly does. And if so, you're going to be a school board member, right. it, it's going to require that level of engagement in order to be uh, to serve properly. Exactly. School board members have two jobs. They set policy and they set appropriations. Those are their two jobs. They hire two people, a business manager and a CEO, so a CFO and a CEO. And, and you are a businessman, so you needed to know the business side of your business, but you also needed to know the content yeah. side of your business. Yeah. Yeah. And the same is true for running the, the business of, of, of education. And you never forgot what your business core mission was, what your core purpose was. I think sometimes board members can get really you know, drug into or drive themselves into ditches and yeah. forget what their core business is. And that is to educate students. Um, my board was no different than, than the national statistics. Less than 10% of our school board meeting minutes are spent on talking about student outcomes. School boards, so this training really talks about the, you know, keeping the main thing the main thing, helping them ask the right questions. Now they aren't the CEO, they aren't an educator, they're not a CFO, but they need to know about it and they need to be equipped with the right questions to ask because it is their job to set the expectations of how they want, how well they want their students to be doing math, reading, and performing uh, you know, active citizens, science and social studies. So they have to set that goal, set that mission, and they have to hold their 
the people that they hire accountable to making progress on those goals. And so what questions can you ask? What questions should you ask? We talked earlier about the board member that ripped open his packet as he's walking into the board meeting. Right. We can't do that. If you're going to be a good board member, you need to have knowledge and skills about education, about a business of education, but most of all, you need to have the mindset that our, all students can succeed. All students must succeed. In North Dakota, that's particularly important because our scarcest resource is human capital, yeah. people. We only have 785,000 people in the entire state of North Dakota. We can't afford for a single one not to be graduating from high school with those knowledge and skills. How many students need. in K-12? About 130,000 K-12. How many school districts? 168 school 168. districts for 130,000 students. Yeah, and five members per board? At so, some, yeah. some five is the minimum. Seven and nine are also common. Yes, yeah, so we, yeah, so we have a lot of elected leaders. of elected school board members. Yeah. We do, we and, do. And uh, people, I, I tell people often that some of the most important decisions that are made in uh, that affect your family and in your home happen at the local level, school boards, Absolutely. city councils, right? Right. And, when I, uh, yes. Yeah. When I visit with school board members, again, I have a really good relationship with our school boards association, and so I go to their annual convention, and I say, I would, I would say that their jobs are more important than our U.S. senators. It has more of an impact on sure. more people. Well, yeah, most immediate and direct impact, yeah. yeah. So, so what has been the response then? First off, talk about how long this has been going on, and then what has been the response? Um, and then i got a follow-up question after Certainly. that. But go ahead. Over, so it's been going on for about a year and a half. Um, I brought our school board member association uh, members, leaders, and executive director and staff. I took them down to Texas to let them watch in action. I um, had brought some legislators along with that trip to let it watch it watch it in action, and then COVID hit. So we all we had the momentum yeah. of the desire. The funding was going to be a challenge, but we were gonna you know get go to our legislature and ask for some startup funding. Well, along comes COVID. We have less time, but we have some funding. So I used COVID set aside funding to start this up. Um, so we started it in let's see, uh, started the planning and the building of it in January, February of 2021. Actual implementation started a year later, so December, January of 2022, and so it's been going for about a year and a half. Because it's voluntary, word of mouth has spread. You've heard me describe North Dakota as one community with a really long main street. At first, our superintendents were really nervous about this training of their board members, but now superintendents are saying it's the best thing they ever did. 15, 20-year board vet veteran members have said, I wish I would have had this. This has gotten me so focused. It's got our community so focused. Boards uh, and leaders, superintendents are saying, the, I'll use a quote from one of our superintendents. He felt like he was serving two masters before, the masters of student outcomes that the state and federal government expected, and then another set of goals that the board wanted him to work on. Yeah. He said some meetings he'd leave, he felt like the board like he was supposed to be on a train to Chicago and the board had just sent him on a flight to Las Vegas. <laughs> and he said, now we're all going in the same direction. So um, I would say it's, it's been very well received. I have board members from across the nation contacting me, new board members and veteran board members that are looking for some training and support for their board, for themselves as board members. Come across this work on our website, reach out to me and say, 
their association is providing good information, but it's not quite what they need. Associations, you know, provide information on how to, you know, comply with open meeting records, yeah. open meeting laws, open records, those compliance sort of things. If you need an attorney, here are some good firms. So I'm really proud of the partnership that I've built with our association director, and she is changing a lot of what they're doing for their association. Now knowing and understanding that her members, the association mem- members, want to know more about the business of education. Well, and it's called um, Be Legendary. Be Legendary School Board How can training. folks um, that are listening, other yeah. other state superintendents will yeah. be listening to this and people around the country, and yes. they're going to want to learn more. Uh, other state superintendents actually are looking at replicating this, so I, it might be coming to a state near you yeah. and support. So just go to our website, the Department of Public Instruction's website in North Dakota. All right, it's right. right on there. Wonderful. Let's let's shift gears. You've also done some innovative work um, to address teacher shortage, which yes. everybody is experiencing, right? And, yes. And it's not just teacher shortage. I mean, there's a labor shortage in general. So you're not yes. you're you're competing with every other mm-hmm. business and uh, uh, out there that is in need of of employees and. It's truly workers. a crisis shortage in North Dakota. Um, all areas of teaching are now a critical shortage area, as as reported to the federal government on our state reports. In, when you know, even when I first took office, elementary school teachers hadn't been on that list, yeah. and now elementary teachers are on that list as a critical shortage area as well. And so, yes, we needed to do something. And as you look at data, data has to drive everything, right? As you looked at the data in North Dakota, I had done a study, uh, uh, partnered on with our university system to do a study. Our teacher preparation programs in our state were graduating enough teachers to fill our vacancies and to um, plan for the retirements in our upcoming retirements. So what was what was going on? And you look further into the data, and there are 10,100 licensed teachers in North Dakota working in our classrooms across the state. There are 10,300 licensed teachers in North Dakota that aren't working in our classrooms. So what's happening you know, we have to look further into the data. Are those lifetime licenses and they've retired? Are those people that have, you know, gotten licensed in North Dakota and moved out of state but have retained their North Dakota licenses? But what we are finding when we dig deeper is a lot of those people got teaching licenses and if they didn't get a job in what we call our metropolitan areas, the the university towns that are vibrant for young people, they're not choosing to, to go to a small town in North Dakota and be that rural. Uh, educator that was very, very, you know, common when I was in in, in school and growing up. And so what we looked to was a grow your own program. Paraprofessionals that were living in our small communities, our rural communities, likely had children of their own going to that school, had a spouse that was working in the community or other family members. They knew, they number one, two things. They know that they are like living in that community and they know that they like working in a school system. They know what it's all about. But they can't quit their jobs, you know, cut their income either, you know, totally or in half if they have a spouse, move to a university town. So we started working with our special education paraprofessionals and one of our state universities preparation programs, special education uh, teacher programs. And they said, you know what? They got permission from their president and from the university system said, we're going to flip that. We'll enter into an agreement with a local school district. If that school district is willing to take on some of the you know, the practicum supervision responsibilities, the, the student teaching responsibilities, just kind of the, the overall supervision, we'll work with them. Then we'll deliver that content online 
you take over some of the human being supervision responsibilities at the local school district, we'll provide that degree. So we provided scholarships for those paraprofessionals that wanted to become teachers. And when we opened it up, we had this long waiting list. And unfortunately, um, we weren't able to fund all of them. We were using IDEA funding. We weren't able to fund all of them. Well, again, a blessing and a curse, COVID funding comes along. We were able to get everybody off the waiting list, get them started on the as a, a special education para to teacher program, and we were able to expand it to our other education preparation programs. And one of our private universities focused on rural, another public preparation program focused on EL teachers and early learning teachers right. and so got really excited about it and and with any good legislature they noticed what was happening and they we brought the information to them and said COVID funding is going to run out so would you please fund this and so they appropriated money for us to continue the program I should also say we did the same thing with our school board training we took them the evidence yeah. of a good program yeah. now our state legislature is That's funding the, the key, program isn't it, it, it show is. results show and, results uh, can, yeah and so we had an appropriation from our legislature and we then became aware that the US Department of Labor was uh, uh, so yeah this is this is this is unique so yeah spend a little bit of time for listeners so they understand how you navigated this it's it could be an opportunity for them truly and so though our growing your own program was a quasi apprenticeship program registered apprenticeship programs have you know decades and decades of research of of the mechanisms and the support because they've been doing it with many different occupations so we decided to take the plunge and apply for uh, the department of labor's registered uh, apprenticeship uh, funding and north dakota was the only department of education that applied for this competitive grant and the department of labor awarded north dakota four million dollars to continue the that's registered a lot of money in north, a, north dakota a lot yeah, of money yeah. that's a lot of money and we were only one of seven states that got an, a competitive grant um, in general much less the only department of education yeah. that received a competitive grant so now we are in the midst of this and again numbers matter they don't sound significant for for a state like new york or california but considering that we only have ten thousand teachers in general. Between the two programs, the state funded and the uh, Department of Labor funded, we expect to graduate over 700 teacher candidates yeah, in the next two incredible. and a half years. So that's really incredible. incredible. Yeah. So once we became accustomed to working with the Department of Labor, they weren't so scary. You know, as, as Department of Education people, we work with the Department of Ed, Department of Ag through our child nutrition. It's like, do we want to get involved with another federal yeah, agency? Yeah. But we took the plunge once we, we did it with our teacher program. What we heard from our teachers for the retention issue, two things. One, there's just not enough help. There aren't enough paraprofessionals to help them as that extra set of hands and eyes in their classrooms. And they don't feel supported by their leaders. They don't feel supported by their building leaders. And, and so that signaled to us that we needed to come at this teacher retention problem or you know find a solution as a full continuum. Wrap our arms on a full continuum around those classroom teachers. Number one step is to ensure that their building leaders have what they need in training, support, and an apprenticeship program to provide, to be the instructional leader and right. the building right. leader that Critical. that that classroom teacher needs. And so we did what Tennessee did a couple years er earlier with the teacher occupation. We went to the Department of, of Labor and said, would you please add 
elementary and secondary principals to your apprenticeship occupation list? And they said yes. They gave us, they, they approved that request in June of 2022. So now we're running an, a teacher apprentice, excuse me, a principal apprenticeship program partnering with a, one of our research universities in the state. We have 10 principal apprenticeships there. Again, if you're going to be a high quality principal, you can it, it, you're not going to get the experience of support if you're doing that in summer programs or night classes and doing a, a two-week internship yeah. 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 in the middle of yeah. the summer because yeah. you have to you, you can't quit working because yeah. you have a family and so that's the that's the upper end of our continuing the lower end is to create a credential for we already have paraprofessional credentials for um, special education paras and Title I paras. We're creating a regular paraprofessional, regular educator paraprofessional certificate credential that will be provided by our agency and issued by our agency for our high school students. Because what we've recognized is paraprofessional positions generally don't come with benefits in any of our schools. So our target audience has to be 16 to 26 because those are young people that are still on their parents' insurance, yeah. and then the upper end. They maybe yeah. you know, uh, retired as a, as a, uh, uh, a, from our local energy industry, but, and they don't need insurance. And so we're really targeting those two. And we, you know, stackable credentials. I know that you work a lot with stackable yeah. credentials and other occupations. We are now creating a stackable credential for our paraprofessionals so they can start with the credential when they graduate from high school, which leads to an associate's degree, which leads to a bachelor's degree in education. It's all fascinating work and uh, focusing on a couple areas that we don't, that don't get a lot of attention. We definitely don't talk enough about it's true. school board members and uh, um, grow your own teacher programs and uh, very, um, I want to say clever, that's a compliment, but uh, idea to reach out to the Department of Labor, right, and uh, and tap into those programs. So I want to just continue to thank you for your leadership. And uh, you're the past president of CCSSO. That's correct. Yeah, and yes. uh, so that the opportunity you have to share that those experiences and enthusiasm with the rest of state leaders is, is um, a blessing for all the other states and state superintendents so good work thank you good i appreciate work. that i will quote theodore roosevelt uh, adopted son of north dakota there's no greater prize in life than working hard at work worth doing yeah there so, you go i like right. that um you should have saved that because now i'm going to ask you the last question which we always ask and that is share with us one piece of trivia or information about uh, North Dakota that most people wouldn't know and you just shared one but now you got to figure out another one. I'll follow up on that. Okay. I'll add two actually. Most people don't know. They they look at us as a energy and agricultural state but most people don't look at us as a tech industry state either. We have the second largest Microsoft campus in North Dakota, second to Redmond, Washington uh, in Fargo, North Dakota. And I will also share with you, I'll invite everyone to North Dakota because the Theodore Roosevelt Presidential Library will be opening in Medora, North Dakota in July of 2025. The Roosevelt family has chosen North Dakota as the home for that library. Wow, that is great information. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you sharing that and appreciate you being on the show again, Superintendent Basler, and appreciate all your good work. And thanks for swimming upstream and going against the current and, and getting great things done for your state. Thank you, Tom. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And remember, our children may only be 22% of our population, but they represent 100% of our future. 
If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. Swimming Upstream is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of our shows, visit our website, stratagosgroup.com.